Welcome to the Sports Playbook, where we discuss solutions to issues that impact sports. I'm your host, Angela Hazlett. Today's guest is Forrest Lodge, the Sport and Program Development Manager for Sportable. We are here to discuss adaptive sports, creating opportunities, transforming lives. Welcome, Forrest. Thanks, Angela. Great to be here. I'm really glad to have you. And I know that Sportable is an adaptive sports club with a mission of creating opportunities and transforming lives of those with physical disabilities and visual impairments through sport. Forrest, what exactly is adaptive sports? That's a great question. It's um, definitely broadly used. Um, it's used across uh, the disability spectrum. So it could be in relation to uh, supporting athletes or participants with cognitive disabilities, with visual impairments, with physical disabilities. Um, so it can be um, broadly used in that sense for Sportable specifically and other organizations like us. We sort of follow the Paralympic model and, and work with athletes that primarily have visual impairments and physical disabilities. Um, so we do a variety of programming um, that could be team sport, ball sport, individual sport, outdoor, indoor. Uh, we have the, the luxury here in Richmond, Virginia, at our organization to offer uh, about 15 plus uh, different sport programs uh, within that adaptive sport umbrella. So, um, you know, we can go into a lot of nuance with that word, but um, I'll leave it at that to answer your first question. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and that's really important to give everyone access to, to sports. Uh, let's watch a quick video from the founder of Sportable that tells a little bit more about your organization's history and purpose. Portable was conceived. It was a class project at VCU, and um, as recreation therapists, you know, being inclusive to people with disabilities is very important. And I found that uh, the Richmond community lacked any specific programming for people with physical disabilities, and developed Portable so that we could reach the 20,000 people that live in the Richmond community with a physical disability, whether they're five years old or 65 years old. The skills that they can develop on the court. Um, or any sports arena can translate to their everyday lives. This is offering 12 programs, you know, through one organization, gives me the opportunity to individualize what they can participate in. Um, it, you know, to be able to incorporate their interests, be able to incorporate their skill level um, in something that they enjoy that's fulfilling, that's self-satisfying, helps them with their confidence, you know, motor skills, any physical rehab, I mean, you name it, it addresses it. I've been fortunate enough to have uh, the, the opportunity to work with community-based programs um, throughout uh, the, my career as a wheelchair racer. And, you know, now having the opportunity to race and to play wheelchair basketball, it just, you know, it makes you feel more like you, you are part of a society that is very interested in athletics. And, you know, you're able to relate with other people, with other athletes, regardless of their disability or non-disability. That it helps them feel quote-unquote normal again. Um, little did they know when they were injured that they could throw a discus, that they could run again, that they could get in the pool, that they could get on a trail with their kids and go for a bike ride using a hand cycle. So again, it gets them back into life. It has changed my life tremendously. My quality of life, I had totally written it off as being a couch potato. Once I actually got to Richmond, 
and start interacting with the adaptive program and the sportable program here, I did things that I thought I'd never do again. Sports is everything to me. I mean, it, it gives me uh, the outlook uh, on life. It keeps me physically fit. I'm a much happier person. I sleep better. I've got good range uh, of motion. And I can do most anything that anyone else can do. It's incredibly important. Um, you know, for Christian, being able to play sports um, just does a tremendous, um, just gives him a tremendous lift, it's a tremendous boost to his self-esteem, his confidence, and it's just something he enjoys doing, just like any other kid. So he's able to go to school and talk to his friends about the sports that he's involved with, just the way they talk about the sports that they're involved with. As long as, it, it, as, long as we've got people that are interested in coming out to play, um, it's nice to know that Sportable will be there to provide that um, behind-the-scenes um, assistance, which is critical. Just because you want to play the sport doesn't mean you can do it. So it takes all kinds of support, um, travel expenses, wheelchairs, you know, it, it's, it's a never-ending battle. But uh, Sportable allows at least some of that program management and organization, as well as um, the ongoing creative problem-solving and, and all the different things that involve with the nonprofit organization. I know you're the only adaptive sports club in Central Virginia, so you're providing support for a lot of athletes in, in that kind of region. Um, you have about over 300 athletes, at least, you know, last year you were serving uh, multiple competitive and recreational adaptive sports program. I love that you're really trying to reduce the barriers to participation by organizing and administering these sports programs. I know you coordinate the facility usage provide specialized equipment for those who need it, um, coaches and volunteers, and you really just have to kind of understand the unique needs of these individuals. So um, <laughs> let's look at, there's another uh, video we have of a wheelchair rugby athlete. I think that kind of showcases um, uh, that situation uh, or that, that sport, which is really interesting. Um, let's take a look at that. What draws me to rugby is definitely the, the adrenaline rush I get from it the camaraderie. Sports before my injury, I was really active. I was in the Marine Corps for three years. Since I found Sportable, it's improved my quality of life, being able to play sports and be good at them. And it's just a good way to get out and meet new people. Sportable, creating opportunities and transforming lives since 2005. To learn more, visit sportable.org. So that was a video of our lacrosse, uh, lacrosse, our wheelchair rugby program, and uh, it was highlighting Joshua Birch specifically. Um, so he's a military veteran and found that sport out actually before we were able to get it at Sportable. Um, to qualify, you have to have an impairment of at least three of your limbs, so your upper you know, limbs and lower limbs. Um, so most of the athletes have quadriplegia that play that sport. Uh, it's a pretty high level spinal cord injury and reduces the um, functionality of their upper limbs and, and, and lower limbs as well. Um, and so uh, whereas a lot of paraplegics will play wheelchair basketball or tennis or, or things that are a little bit easier to you know, raise your arms and shoot like this, the, their injuries don't allow them to do that as you know well as those other athletes. So uh, they founded wheelchair rugby to really make that sport um, more accessible uh, for these types of injury levels. 
Um, and, and it specifies to those disability types because it levels the playing field. Uh, so within rugby and basketball and some other sports, there are actually classification um, points that are assigned to athletes based on their uh, disability and how it affects their body's function. So not necessarily how good they are at the sport, but how their disability impacts them so that the playing field is, is, is level. Um, and rugby is really intense. Um, it, it has a lot of intentional contact, uh, that you may not see in the wheelchair basketballs and other wheelchair sports. So, um, it's a really, really attractive sport for those who qualify and even those who don't, because, uh, you know, you don't see that, uh, contact in some other sports, but, um, but rugby is a really cool one. We were able to add that through a big grant that we received through the, uh, through the VA. And um, it's been a huge impact on the lives of those athletes that qualify because it's one of the few uh, competitive team sports or competitive sports in general that they um, can play and that it is specifically made for them. And you see a larger impact when something like that is accessible for, for athletes, when they feel like this is, you know, something for them and, and only with them. So it's um, the, the impact goes beyond the playing field and, and that environment for sure. That's incredible. And so sometimes it's modifying the rules, sometimes it's providing specific equipment and other times it may be um, tailoring a, a people into a specific sport with people that um, are facing similar disabilities. So that's incredible. Um, and you mentioned some of the physical disabilities with wheelchair rugby specifically, but what other, what are the spectrum of physical disabilities and visual impairments that you are programming for? Yeah, I could highlight, you know, the, the big ones that we see pretty often. So spinal cord injuries is a big one. And that's where you can kind of um, see the quadriplegia and paraplegia and, and what they end up qualifying in that regard. Amputees, um, and again, in, in wheelchair sports, uh, it's typically uh, a mandatory to have a permanent lower limb impairment, but that is a wide spectrum in there. So you don't have to be a primary everyday wheelchair user to play. You just have to have an impairment of a lower limb that's permanent. So like an amputation, uh, but you could walk with the prosthetic just fine and still play. Uh, you could have cerebral palsy, um, with visual impairments, uh, there are specific sports that are meant for those that are visually impaired, but we know that there's a spectrum of low vision all the way to completely blind. Um, so in a lot of those sports that are specific to visually impaired athletes, they'll wear a sleep shade so that everyone is on the same playing field. Uh, whereas if you have someone that's low vision, they might be able to use that to their advantage. So that, uh, sleep shade kind of levels all of that out, um, and yeah, I'm sure that I'm missing a ton, but, you know, cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injuries, um, spinal cord injuries, uh, spina bifida, which is similar to a spinal cord injury. Uh, that's something that an athlete or a person is born with, um, but it affects their body in a similar way as a spinal cord injury. So they'll typically be like a, a chair user and uh, qualify for a lot of the same sports as someone with a spinal cord injury. And so we're lucky at our organization that we kind of are able to serve the spectrum. And there's a lot of specific disabilities, few and far in between all of those that I mentioned. Um, so it's a, it's been a really cool learning experience as someone who studied sport and not specifically disability um, that I've learned over the six years that I've been in the industry. And so I'm, I'm always learning on the job, which is pretty cool. 
Absolutely. And, and you're focusing on persons with physical disabilities and visual impairments, not people with mental or intellectual disabilities. I know it's a very different population and the programming would be very different. The needs would be very different. Um, so what challenges do you encounter to serve the populations that you are trying to serve and, and across a multiple spectrum of sports? So how challenging is that to offer robust programming? It is, it is very challenging. One is a small nonprofit. You have to consider your staff's capacity. Um, so we, I think, manage that pretty well, considering the number of sports that we're able to offer with just two full-time staff dedicated to running programs. So we are super dependent on, on volunteers um, and people in our community to help lift up our programs. Um, we have recently like involved a lot of our athletes um, that are knowledgeable and experienced in sports to be that representation of what's possible through sport, which I think has um, provided a super large impact on our athletes and, and how they receive instruction and mentorship from someone that they can identify with. So I think that has kind of broken down some barriers and just in terms of like trying to get you know, things across to them and, and what's available to them, which I think has been really cool. Um, awareness of our programming is a big obstacle and barrier just to make sure that people know that we exist. Um, so uh, social media marketing and, and things have been a, a big intention of ours over the last couple of years as that has become more prevalent in our society. I think um, just general acceptance and, and understanding of disability and what's available in adaptive sport. And then and the difference between um, programming for people with cognitive disabilities. So that uh, whole confusion about Paralympics versus Special Olympics is, is still a difficult conversation in just a general society. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is, is due to awareness is a big barrier, capacity staff-wise. Uh, we don't have our own facility for really anything other than our office space and storage. So we uh, have to utilize community partners pretty heavily to get basketball gyms, soccer fields, tennis courts, kind of whatever we're doing, we have to, to work with the community partner. Um, so we are lucky to have great partnerships, uh, but it does require a lot of um, work on behind the scenes just to make everything seem smooth and, and running uh, operationally. But I think we have a really good team um, and it built up a, a good report to, to make it happen for our athletes. But we do know that there's just a lot of a lot more people in our area that could benefit that just either don't know, you know, who we are or, or what we do. They don't know what adaptive sports are in general. Like they might not even understand that there are things out there for them. Um, so working with doctors and therapists to really understand that what we do is important for the people that they are seeing in their inpatient settings and could be a, a, a different form of therapy in a sense. So um, we could go on for hours about barriers, but um, those that, are some of the big ones. Yeah, that's great. And and speaking of the, the facility side of things, since you're using other people's facilities, have you encountered any concern to allow an outside group such as yourself to come in, use their facilities for people, um, for an organization that serves people with disabilities? Has there been, have you met with any resistance over the years? Oh, absolutely. Uh, anyone, anyone's like basketball court that you're using and you're using wheelchairs on it, like, oh, is it going to mess up our court? And you have to kind of, you know, talk them down. And, and it's, it's, again, it goes back to that awareness piece and understanding. And so in those meetings, you have to kind of be prepared to discuss like the impact of what them helping us to provide this space for our programming 
will do for the community. And, and, and also like, you know, you might bring some equipment to that meeting and say, Hey, you know, this is what it looks like. This is what you're, you're getting into. And this is like who you're helping to provide sporting for. So um, definitely some re resistance and some people that are just totally closed off to it, but um, you know, it's kind of comes with the territory sometimes. So I think the more that um, we can be out there in the community and um, the more that the Paralympics can be streamed and the more that all of this is kind of streamlined into our society, the more open that folks will be. Um, but you also have to come into that understanding in those meetings, like these are going to be the retorts that they're going to have. So you almost have to have, you know, responses to all those. And luckily I do have a background. Uh, I was a graduate assistant with the university facilities department. So I kind of have somewhat of a background in what those questions might be and even some expenses that we don't need to pay for. Um, so I think that's benefited me in that process of our job um, to an extent for sure. So anticipating those questions, coming prepared and, and having that background, I'm sure it's really helpful. Um, yeah. Probably uh, do they often ask for certificate of insurance from you as well to, to make sure that yeah. <laughs> there's any um, reduce some liability concerns and things of that nature. Um, and, and there's an obligation for these places to provide access and opportunities for people with disabilities, right? So you're going to help them provide those services in the community. 100%. That's a huge argument. And that's how, like, that's a huge benefit with our um, partnerships that we go with, like the local county parks and rec departments and and we're basically serving a population of their constituents that they're unable to serve in this specific and unique way because the equipment and the type of programming and the type of experience and background that you need to be able to offer these certain sports, you know, requires a lot of funding and expertise and, and time that they don't necessarily have uh, or they're not, you know, you know, taking the time to do. And so we have a, a niche market that we're able to serve and, and really showcase to these different community partners that we can help them serve these constituents by them just doing the simple courtesy of providing a space and potentially some extra support if it's a sport that they also do for the general population. So it's a kind of like ebb and flow of like, we can do this together or hey, you can just do this by providing us the space and we'll do it for you. Um, and, and part of like some of those barriers, I think we've become so self-sustaining by just needing space that some of that um, co-branding and, and working together maybe reduces our community awareness in a sense. So we're trying to like think, like step back a little bit and say, hey, maybe we, we do need to promote this in the county, you know, um, literature and social media posts uh, to just have a wider audience because, you know, if they're just giving us the space and we're just coming in and doing it with our typical, you know, athletes that we already have in our system, maybe we're missing out on quite a few, you know, more additional participants that have qualifying disabilities that would really benefit. So it's some interesting learning lessons that we've oh, had. Oh yeah, learn. that's interesting that you've identified um, that you need to brand yourself even when you're in someone else's space. Um, and you provide services at such a really affordable cost for your members. You have this athletes pay a membership fee of $20 a month and they get unlimited access to sports programs and an annual YMCA membership. I mean, that's an incredible value. And most sports programs for able-bodied athletes cost more than that. 
Um, I imagine this requires a lot of philanthropic supports um, for you to really charge such a low fee. Um, during COVID, how did you provide value to your members and continue to get good donor support when a lot of things were shut down? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we had to kind of learn on our feet. Um, luckily, uh, on the programming side of thing, we're fairly younger on the staff, so we could figure out Zoom and social media and everything in terms of getting access to our athletes. So we kind of just figured it out on our own. And, and again, with the support of the adaptive sports community as a whole, a lot of people were pooling resources together to say, hey, you know, we're going to do this Zoom fitness class at this time, and it's going to be adapted for seating and ambulatory athletes um, and just sharing. Like, so we, if we were doing it, we're sharing it with our network of, of uh, people across the country or someone else is doing it. We're sharing it with our athletes so that they know that they can have access to this sort of thing. And so we really just tried to stay as top of mind with our, our with our athlete base as possible. Um, just so that they knew that we were doing as much as we could during the uncertain times to try to keep them active and keep them engaged. Uh, a big part of our programming is community and socialization, uh, which is a huge benefit that our athletes see in, in our participation of our programming. So even just doing like um, Netflix watch parties or, um, you know, team workouts with teammates from specific sports, anything that we could do to keep our, our athlete community base engaged together, we did. And then as we saw, you know, some research or, or whatever was coming out um, about safety and doing outdoor programming like cycling or tennis. We kind of just gradually followed along um, based on what our health departments and, and other sport organizations were doing. Um, and now we're kind of back to almost full capacity, which is is great. Um, and, and it's been, uh, you know, an incredible two years of not only like athlete engagement and, and new athletes coming out, but also um, the philanthropy the philanthropic uh, donors being so supportive throughout. I think everyone in our base and even in the community during these difficult times sort of like really identified with the need for access to um, recreation. Um, so we actually saw some pretty interesting support and almost like increased support throughout the pandemic. Um, I think because of the amount of work that we were still doing. Um, so it's pretty cool to see. That is incredible. And we're going to show a, a quick little clip um, about the first minute or so of a rock climbing video, which I think is pretty incredible. And um, but, you know, it's amazing that you're able to still get that support during um, COVID. I know last year in um, 2021, you still had an impressive 276 unpaid volunteers who gave 2,691 hours of their time. So we can go ahead and roll that clip. What kind of training do your volunteers receive? Is it, a, it, you don't seem to find it a challenge to recruit and retrain, retain, train volunteers, but um, what about the, the volunteer piece? Yeah, so that's a, a great point. When I first started at Sportable, we just kind of did like a once a month general, like come learn about our organization and all the sports that we do training. Um, and we found that once we got to those sports and the people were signed up, they, they needed another like crash course on like what they were actually expected to do. And so, um, I think within a year we switched to sports specific training. So basically a week before any of our programs start, we meet with our volunteers 
and go over equipment expectations, how they can best support our athletes. Um, for that climbing video specifically, you know, we work uh, in partnership with the climbing gym here locally and, and, and kind of service or survey their membership network to get volunteers who are familiar with that, that sport and then work with our coaches to basically go over anything specific to that sport that is adaptable that they need to know to make you know the sport more accessible and easier for our athletes but the beauty of a lot of our sports is that they're very similar to how the um adapt how the able-bodied sports are played like kayaking you know at climbing use a lot of the same equipment and techniques you just need to understand the disability that the athlete experiences and how it impacts them and then how you can work together to get them active um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool formula that we've created yeah i mean it's amazing you guys you're only the organization's only been in existence since 2005 so a relatively young organization but you've impacted so many lives and you've had three sportable athletes who've gone on to compete in international events including a paratriathlete who's trying to compete in the 2024 olympic paralympic games and you've had some other athletes like um, alexa halko who is a track athlete who um, has competed internationally at the, at the olympics and it's just incredible all those opportunities you provide but what other challenges i mean just one last kind of summary here what other challenges does your organization encounter and and how are you combating that yeah, I, I think it really goes back to that awareness piece. Um, you know, we're, we're in Richmond, we're in a, a fairly large city in, in our state. And we we know in terms of the consensus, like the census numbers that there are more people that have that identify with having disabilities that are out there. Um, so I think a big thing that we're really trying to focus some of our energy on is is just spreading awareness in in some underserved communities. Uh, so that could be like the inner city communities, it could be um, people of color that also identify uh, with having a disability. And I think when we look at our numbers, um, it's, a, it's a very predominantly white um, you know, base of, of participants and volunteers across the board. And it's obviously nothing intentional that we're doing, but we're, we're taking a step back and really looking at where our resources come from, who our community partners are, where do we already have good existing relationships that don't need as much TLC and where do we need to identify better relationships to make sure that we are getting our programming and services to the people that aren't being served. Um, so that's a, it was a sort of a damning sort of like a realization because um, all we want to do is, is try to serve as many people that, you know, benefit and qualify for a programming as possible. Um, so, you know, that, that's a big thing that I think is top of mind for our, our society right now. And, and I think is, is something that we're really striving to combat within our community um, and hope that, you know, we can continue to break down those barriers that we've done for our existing athletes just as well for those that, that aren't currently participating with us. Well, I love how you're looking to continue to improve your services to as many people as possible and being so inclusive. So thanks, Forrest, for your insight into adaptive sports, where you clearly live out your mission to create opportunities and transform lives. And thank you to our viewers today for joining us on the Sports Playbook. In two weeks, our guest is Michael Orvos, who will discuss security and professional sports facility, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We will see you then.
Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.